0: And welcome to the Nightcraft podcast, where leading knitwear designer, author, and innovator Erica Knight and I, Arabella, Erica's daughter and collaborator, chat about craft and creativity in the hand knitting industry and beyond. In this episode, we're chatting across the pond with one of the most knowledgeable and well connecting women in the knitting world, the warm and wonderful Trisha Malcolm.
1: Hey, Trish, it's uh, good to be talking to you. And uh, you're at home in uh, New York at the moment. And of course, um, we're here together momentarily at at, um, St. Leonard's by Sea uh, on a beautiful day. And uh, we've got you out of bed quite early or part of your day anyway. Um, But where do you call home now? Obviously, New York's been your home for some time, but uh, I know you uh, work and play both um, across the pond and Australia Australia's home.
2: Australia will always be home. And I know that sounds a little corny. You are who you are, where you were born. But um, I've lived half my life in Australia and half my life in the US now.
1: Oh, that's quite interesting. Yeah. 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 Yep.
2: And it's always been in New York and mainly in Brooklyn, which I love. It seems to um, suit my soul to be here.
1: And seen some changes in Brooklyn too.
2: Oh, a lot. Yeah, I mean it's almost thirty years since I first moved here. You know, now with COVID, um, there's a, there's less people in the city. You know, yeah, um, it's it's definitely changing again.
1: It's certainly a city, um, New York, that one feeds off spiritually, uh, inspirationally, and also um, well, also Sydney in many different ways, though, isn't it? You know, oh yes, so informed by the landscape and the city and everything. I, as you say, it does feed your soul. Mm. Mm.
2: And both places um, are right on the ocean too. And I, I always have this thing too about salt air. Mm. You know, I think you if you're attracted to, and you obviously would be too. You're right there on the beach. Yeah, mm. absolutely.
0: Um, we have that. I think once you've lived by the sea, that's it. You have to. You you need it. It's um, you do. Yeah, so it's kind of big skies and yeah. Yeah. And it's just that
2: salt that's actually in the air. And I think
0: hmm. it's
2: some people need that and some people don't. Yeah, I
1: nice.
2: think it's really quite lovely to be near the water. Like I, you could move to Chicago and you'd be near the water, but it's not the same. It doesn't have that same
1: permeating um, smell in the so air. I like yeah. That. That. I can so like, like, really, uh, yeah, I really get that. Well, we first met, I meant more a lot of years ago. I remember coming into yeah. New York and, uh, you, you coming out? Um, it was Christmas Eve. We've worked and uh, across the pond and in lots of different guises ever ever since. Um, and obviously, they were Vogue knitting days. It was very instrumental. Um, and you, for me, have always been such an inspiration. Your experience, your as I said, you turning up. Um, you know christmas eve was just so wonderful and warm and with all that experience you know that you had the time to do that um and it was such a busy that's such a busy magazine to edit let's face it you know um first class in the world and what it represented then and what it um has gone on to represent now um i wondered um what your big memories are of um that time
2: I definitely remember meeting you the first time and I was um, thrilled. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be meeting Erica Knight. just like, wow. But um, I remember, too, um, I didn't realise the scope of your experience when I first met you and how much time you'd spent in Australia with Country Road. And um, I guess we had so many of these shared things that I'd never met anyone else who had such an experience of Australia. In the knitting, you know, environment. So, um, I remember feeling very warmly about that, you know. Mm. But I also remember, um, meeting Bella too.
0: Yeah, oh. I, yeah, I do remember yes. because we were there, as you said, it was Christmas Eve, and we'd gone to visit um, your brother, my uncle, and his family, haven't we? And yeah, because it was in the um, the hotel bar at the Soho Grand, wasn't it? Oh, it was. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Drinks in a hotel bar. <laughs> <laughs> if only we could do that now. Yeah. I
2: know, right? <laughs> yeah, that was one of my favourite haunts at the time because um, it was new and it was very industrial looking and very yeah. cool and it was convenient to the office and it was it's just so much nicer to meet someone like that than sit in the office. It,
1: you know? But it was of a time too, you wasn't it? Because there was a lot going on. I remember, you know, Loopy Mango were down the street. Yes. Like and there was such a sort of a vibe and a, a, a new mm. vibe then um, and that vibe... You know, um, and over those last, as we're saying, you know, twenty, thirty years, as it, um, knitting has changed. Um, so, at
0: the time you were working um, at Vogue Knitting, as you said, at the office just down the road. So, were you were you the editor of the magazine at, at the time? Is that right? Yeah, yeah I was. Yeah, I was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, That must have been yeah such an incredible time, as you said, with Pearl Soho and all that. And it was um, yeah, you must have come and kind of. When you took on the magazine to the time when you um, departed it, you must have seen a lot of change in that whole how, how knitting's been perceived. I think it's been quite a critical um, kind of couple of decades for knitting. How did you, yeah. what are the differences?
2: Absolutely. Um, well, firstly, when I took on the magazine, um, it had been done freelance and it hadn't been doing very well. And it was three issues a year and that was about it. Um, oh, wow. Hmm. So, um, you know, I got it up to six issues before I left and See, that's launched. That's huge. And it's so- yeah. huge. Wow. yeah. And we launched a book um, publishing division. And then um, around that time, we had been part of the Butterick Company, so yeah. Bogan Butterick Patterns. Yeah. And then um, we split away from them in 2001. And then 2001, um, 9-11 happened. Mm. And that was very close to our office. And that was Game, a whole, that's a whole name everything. changer. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, yeah then um, the knitting world sort of took off. One of the things that happened is um, we started doing these things called knit outs and they were um, um, sort of knitting people. It was mainly in New York uh, originally. And we sort of got everyone who was involved in knitting even a little bit all together and put on these sort of outdoor knitting events once a year. Mm-hmm. And they were amazing. You know, we'd have thousands of people come through and there was a big learn-to-knit area. And the whole point of that was to bring your knitting out of the closet.
0: Yeah, yeah. I love that, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. So that sort of was one of the things that I think really started things moving. Mm. And then the internet, once we had the internet, knitters were very early adopters of the technology. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you remember the original knit list and, um, yeah, sure. you, know, you know, all those sort of things, you know, and that happened in knitting way before it sort of happened in a lot of other areas.
1: Because it's sort of a misconception, isn't it? People even still go about, oh, it's granny knitting and what have you. And you think you clearly don't look online. You clearly no. don't see. Um, and very often people when you're working will say, oh, well, you know, we're looking for a younger customer or a demographic. thing. You don't know the fearsome knitters that I know that are on their iPads and yeah. they've got their cues and you know they took on to Ravelry. Oh my God, you know, yeah, and that are... kind
0: of ease ease of community that um, because that's such an important part of knitting, I think, and um a reason why maybe not why people take it up but a re- real reason why they get hooked is the other people that they meet in a knit group or yeah like you said those kind of knit out um events those happenings but that's all it's always been there digitally as well or you know since um early
1: doors, yeah, yeah. Early
0: doors like you were saying and that's that's just increased and I think um you know the technology obviously in the past year everyone's kind of gotten more used to that, but knitters have always been there. It's been a really um I think one of the things that has really pushed those kind of community um digital places.
1: Yeah. I mean and and that comes on to a be, bit because obviously the very successful Vogue knitting live. And I mean that was a game changer for me, Trish, just on a personal experience. You um, huge and kind and generous invitation to come over and see you at Vogue Knit in life. When I think it might have been was it the first one, the second one? I think. Um, I think it was
2: the second one. Yeah.
1: And I mean, um, I can remember you changing all my technology overnight, <laughs> and uh, you know, and setting up <laughs> screens. But a phenomenal event, and something that our community, our knitting community, just really looks forward to. Um, we get up and we. Traverse the globe or have been doing that city to city. Now the challenge obviously has been doing those virtual and they've been very successful. Do you think that is because of knitters who they are, they embrace technology, just game on, we'll do that. How come we we as knitters have made that transition?
2: I think of knitters as being more educated than the general population and that um, was definitely borne out in the surveys that we did of our readers back at Vogue Knitting, mm. um, and I think um, in order to be a knitter, you've got to have um, an ability to deal with math and deal with the spatial movement of stitches. And there's a sort of a technology in what we do, even yes. though it's handwork. Yeah. And I think that understanding, and if your mind works that way, that you are able to deal with knitting. I think it works that way with dealing with um, um, with technology as well. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's so, a good point. Mm, and like it's that. kind of like mm. multitasking and problem solving. I guess yeah, there's a lot of similarities there. Yeah, yeah.
1: We're, we're, and also, yeah. well, I, I was going to say we're we're mostly quite logical. I mean, my my brain is yeah. scribbled. There's, there's always but, the expe- um,
0: exception. There's to always the errors. <laughs> uh,
1: what do you see as a future? I know you're busy at the moment. Uh, doing Zooms constantly, webinars, connecting um, retailers, uh, talking to consumers, organising events. Um, what are some of the highs and lows of that experience latterly?
2: Um, um, I think it's all a bit of a high, really. Um, I haven't had a bad experience on a Zoom yeah, you know, I mean, sometimes there's, you know, corporate meetings and they're a little awkward, but <laughs> <laughs> I find the Zoom experience, um, actually, a friend of mine, did. she did a Vogue meeting live in her first class. She sent me a message during the class and she said to me, this is so much more intimate than taking a class in person.
1: Mm. Oh,
2: yeah. You yeah. know, and it's like, well, we're talking here on Zoom Yeah. and I can see you super clearly. You can see me. We're, we're having a conversation that is easier to have in this format than it is if we're across the room from each other or there's people coming in and out or, you know, you're at a trade show for instance, or the bar after the trade show, you know, it's, this is in a way more intimate and um, stronger in a sense. So I think when you have events, um, you know, like there's ones we did for um, Rowan a few weeks ago, Mm. you know, we had, you know, close to a thousand people sign up for both those events. And um, that, um, to me, was amazing, you know, that we could actually be in a thousand, well, you know, living rooms or homes um, with our, um, our message and what we were doing and what we've done for this season.
1: And, it, and very often, though, it's an audience that you wouldn't necessarily have come physically to vote. Yeah, it's kind like, of more
0: accessible, isn't it, um, for people? Yeah, yeah. you know.
1: They're, Absolutely, they're really yeah. Well, um, um, I know for myself um, you know adopting doing small little workshops it, it focuses in mind on little snapshots I've enjoyed podcasts I've enjoyed going on and, and speaking to people that I wouldn't have had time or to, to see so um, I, I too like you I'm quite excited about the future um, I don't think we'll go back from any of that I think it will just enhance uh, our, ex, our experience and on, on that anybody you'd um you know you have such a wealth of experience like you alluded to having friends with I, I think you mostly must know nearly you must know everybody I'm going to correct
0: everybody who's you anybody
1: must know everybody who's
2: <laughs> anybody <laughs> no I am very lucky that I have gotten to meet some amazing people you know in the time um And also working for a magazine, um, it puts you in a different place because there's no politics involved. Mm. So therefore you can easily just sort of reach out and speak to anyone, you know, Um, you know what it's like when you go to a trade show and you might have one young company across the aisle and there's like this, uh, yeah. um, And you know what I mean? This sort of competitive edge. But when you're a magazine, you know, I always likened it to being Switzerland. (laughs) Um, yeah you you could speak to anyone and people will be open with you and and talk with you you know um but with that comes great responsibility because you can only be switzerland if you are the vault you can't (laughs) talk about other people's business to
1: no i i i get that too but it's but also it's such a huge business people don't realize you know one, um, especially now people are engaged and they, they're wanting to take up craft yet again, revisit crafts, uh, revisit knitting, crochet. Um, oh, and that comes, uh, what I was going to say is we, we're seeing an older audience, i.e. an experienced audience, but people taking it up um, again and it's wonderful. You know, I think there's another two generations since I started coming in. But, you know, and now the seminal Vogue knitting book Mm-hmm. Um, is, that you know, this new edition. That is just the thing now, isn't it? I mean, um, it is perfect, I'm going to say. That is the perfect Bible uh, for anybody.
0: That ultimate. Multilangu-
1: the, it is the ultimate. <laughs> <laughs> you should say that, the <laughs> ultimate. <laughs> but um, it is the ultimate as a resource. It's always on my desk. It's always on my desk. That must have been... Um, Amazing, a phenomenal to undertaking. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah.
2: Totally. I think, it, you know, the bones of it were there because the book Good was bad. first done back in the 80s. Mm. But, um, yeah, we, it started, the redo of it started with about six or eight of us in a, a conference room for two days straight, and the wall was covered in post-its. You know, we sort of um, came up with a list of everything that we wanted to include that wasn't already there. And we ripped the book apart and we said we'd keep this. We went page by page, out, Mm -hmm. out, expand in, you know. And that was like, um, that's the power of the edit, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So it was really quite amazing. And then from there um, we went ahead and did the book. But I had a really amazing team and not a particularly big team. Um, There's a woman I worked with, Laurie Steinberg, who um, Mm -hmm. um, she was the – the knitting genius like Carla Scott was there obviously but she had her day job but we could put Laurie just on this and um she knit every one of those little swatches that were nailed down to go to illustrators oh wow and wrote the captions for every one of those illustrations and that was an amazing
1: I think um, people don't realize putting a book together a technical book like that as well um it is all the knowledge and there's some of that it's um
0: but then it's all about the edit like you said because yeah it has to be easily readable and translate that into yeah. a, a format I,
1: I think edit is such a big thing now um with what we've all experiencing curation yeah. of things yes. of making that palatable it's become a really you know those words curation and edit is um and also because everybody well I'd certainly got all the book uh, the original book, and all the, the, it's always been at the top, the pinnacle. Uh, the Vogue knitting magazine's always been the pinnacle of things. So you you know even from the sixties or all those books, you're you're gonna have that wonderful experience of couture, in a way. And mm. um, I think this book, the as you say, you're presenting it to a new audience as the best, and that is phenomenal. Um, and I can just imagine you um, page by page going through <laughs> that ruthless list that I know. Were ever. there
0: any kind um, sort of uh, unexpected things that now had to be included in the um, revised? Yeah, in okay. the revised edition, kind of thirty years after the original, anything?
2: Oh yeah, um, like the whole. Um, there was no circular needles in the first book. No, right. no. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then there's all the techniques that have been developed, you know, because of circular knitting, like things like the jogless jog or, yeah. um, you know, the cast on for socks, you know, two at once, socks inside, you know. Yeah. I'm not pulling the right names out, but um, you know what I mean. The magic cast on, but, you know, but, all that kind of stuff that's, but that's it's what
1: with us, you, need. You, you need, all although to pull in what's actually happening out there. You know, yeah. I think sometimes people think we're all experts and, oh, you do this. We know all the answers. Well, we don't. You, you know, you're gathering all that yes. stuff that people are doing, you know. Yes. And Luke being one of them. Oh, my goodness. You know, coming to I the, know, it's the long amazing. time. I only came to short row shaping late in, late to the party. Mm-hmm. But now, oh, my God. love it. I you know. know.
2: But see, that's the lovely thing I think about knitting is it attracts, um, or it has in the last say 15 years, it attracted this influx of people who took it up and then took it to a whole different level. You know, so you had some amazing technicians. Um, I think earlier people came in from the design point of view, but then you had these people who came in as technicians who really changed things, you know,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: who looked at it from a completely different way and were able to, um technically and there were like so many scientists for instance who were knitting i found that
1: incredible you know mm. um, and some leading uh, designers that we have now had you know studied archaeology or biology i find mm. that fascinating yeah.
0: whenever we do a workshop there's always one or two scientists that's true i love
1: it i yeah. find a lot of um gps general uh, practitioners yeah. um, you know, retirement are, are very good. And I find that fascinating and the mindsets of how they create. Um, exactly. People on uh, um, uh, spreadsheets. Yeah, there's been such contributions. If you look at the last
2: 15 years, right, the contributions in terms of, like, firstly, um, the technology around us has drastically changed and that's made the knitting world smaller. So it means everyone's had access to information. Like, did you know anything about Estonian knitting when you were like 25? <laughs> no, yeah. but now it's, we have access to everything we all, we ever want to know. We can actually go into Ravelry, find a, uh, designers in Estonia and contact them Yeah, and have conversations, you know? So there's, there's accessibility, but there's been major strides in the tools that we use, sure. you know, like, you know, needle sets and, um, Square needles, and then there were triangular needles, and there was all and then the materials that needles are made from, and the same things happened with yarn I mean people were making yarn from milk and nettles and oh, yeah you know loads and loads of different things there for a while, and I mean that technology exists it's probably not being used very much now because it's not as marketable, but for a while there anything goes, you know, and there was just experimentation and amazing things going on, and you had designers emerging who were doing completely different things than um you know what a traditional knitting designer would have done
1: it's sort of become like um, knitting now I think everybody should take it up I mean we we always say it's a a post-apocalyptic skill don't we you know that you know you can you know you can nurture yourself you can you know cover house you know you can cover make shelter and what have you but I do think now with um we are all talking mindfulness well-being to and also on a practical level to be able to construct textile i think it should be in everybody's repertoire for whatever different reason of problem solving or comfort or keeping your loved ones safe
0: um and there's actually a way to come at it for everyone isn't there you could just you know love color or um love that you know like you always say the simplicity of two sticks and a ball of wool, or it could be that you're, you know, really fascinated by, yeah, the more scientific approach and really looking at fibers and breaking them down and creating something totally yeah. new. I think it, there's something for everyone there yeah. and it, yeah, it outside of our world, it often gets pigeonholed into something yeah. that it's really not.
1: And it's really not. And we're not. Oh, favorite fiber. Hmm. What's your favorite fiber?
2: um, um it's tough wool and linen
1: yeah my oh, two yeah. yeah yeah go go that that's me too wool and linen I couldn't yeah actually yeah. the ultimates yeah the ultimate yeah yeah
2: you know and I love a soft soft merino but I also love something a little crunchy too yeah.
1: yeah
2: you know there's so many different um ways wool is made and different twists and
1: you know you know for me you know it's like well can I say soft porn? 21.5 micron you know I mean what what is that about but you know me well I'd like to get out more but if if only
2: (laughs) we always used to call um you know those beautiful shots of yarn where you can almost feel the fiber you know it's so close okay that was yarn porn in our
1: well, but, I, but I do remember you guys, it was you guys and the lovely Karen straw, you know, doing those wonderful shots of, made it uh, tactile and uh, beautiful. And know. actually
0: that must have been quite an innovation because, you know, those traditional knitting patterns, you know, in the kind of, say, 40s, 50s, 60s when everyone was making their own clothes but and it was maybe it was more of a fashion thing so you'd get those very staged that now look totally kitsch kind of um you know like butterick sewing patterns as well it goes back I absolutely adore them but you know now it just looks totally mad um but then educating people and not just the finished product and not just knitting it because you want this, you know, chic little um bolero or you know, little mini dress or something, but actually because you want to work with a specific fiber and enjoy the process of knitting it as a hobby in and of itself, let alone the finished product, mm. Mm. yeah. And the other thing, too, I find about knitting is you can go as rustic as you want
2: to, too. All of this sort of high-tech knitting exists, but, you know, you can just, you know, your your oldest bamboo needles that have almost no finish left (laughs) and a pure wool, you know, and you can be just completely happy. But
1: I, you know, like you, and I've learned all my crafts from, um, well, over here would have been our our lovely James Norbury. I mean, obviously across the pond would be quintessential Elizabeth Zimmerman and others Um, and I love all the fusion but um, and I adore tailoring and fully fashioning and making the details and learning technique but somehow over the years I feel I've lost the like you say that sort of rustic that sort of artisan
0: the immediacy the
1: immediacy and I do you know I often say on these uh podcasts too about you know Uh, knitting during the punk years it didn't really matter you know as such it was about the craft but I do admire people starting out now I get a real buzz out the students and I know you do um, of nurturing them and just seeing that rawness come through
2: yeah yeah Um, and a different approach you know like I look at Zandi Peters and you know she created the fox paws yeah and I was like when I first saw it, I was like, oh, my God, you know, blown away because someone's done something way out of the box. Yeah. And I think yeah. there's um, more of that. Like, of knitting, too, was out of the box, you know, yeah. when that was first stuck, at think. Yeah. And I, that's what I love is when new things happen like that, you know, and it's it's exciting.
1: I was going to say, you know, because now you are very much to the um, – for always have been, I know, but uh, working um, and – Showing and delving into what um, I, I don't like to use the word trend because trend has become a, a strange word now, but it's sort of like gathering up the petticoats of the zeitgeist and bringing it, examining it of what um, we're doing. Um, and certainly, when we've shared webinars, been fascinated of your taken curation again your addition of that is that something you really enjoy and you see yourself doing more of
2: oh definitely i love following the whole uh, fashion trend thing um not so much fashion for the sake of fashion mm. but um and that's important you know um even if our fashion's heading towards being basically you know expensive looking pajamas mm-hmm. but um uh, what I love is looking at how knitwear fits into the, its own niche within the fashion world. And I always love how knitting designers look to our world to see what's going on. Yes,
1: definitely. You, know? Yeah. you
2: know, like right now in fashion, there's all of these, um, you know, um, top-down sweaters with yokes, you know. I mean, I'm sure they're not produced that way industrially. But they've seen that that's a trend that's happening in our world. You know,
1: I th- and I think there's a lot of that. Yeah. I, th- I think too, um, and you were saying too, when we, we saw one of these spikes uh, of um, knitting uh, back with the uh, 9-11, and I think when we face all these dreadful uh, experiences. We want to throw ourselves into what we can keep safe and um, knitting being one of them, you know, we can surround ourselves and our loved ones in yarn, get our head down and be creative. I think now too, we're seeing a big burst on that and we don't want homogenized things either. Um, This reset that we're all part of, we want to value value in what we've made valuing exactly. the differences and I think fashion um is able to look at that and how we craft and how we repair and how we um and I always think knitwear owns a catwalk or a, a runway whether that runway be in a field now which I'm finding fantastic fascinating, lovely, isn't it? That, yeah. you know I, I just and I think it is creative vision that mm. um it takes us forward. So, Sometimes
0: the parameter is quite good, isn't it? Yeah. It allows you to go over them. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But you need a, a brief in a way to be able to yeah. kind of push at the edges of it. Yeah.
1: So, so yeah. I mean, I'm fascinated I'm with you every step of the way with what you're doing with um, uh, bringing together that, but also are you seeing a similar trend within magazines? Because obviously you've grown up with that, with, and interviewing people, um, are there people you'd be desperate to talk to or to interview oh, gosh, yes. or, you know, <laughs> a new type of magazine or, 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 or book or something now?
2: I think when I left my job and moved on to work for Rowan, um, I had, um, I'd really kind of burned out. And I actually have quite a large pile of magazines here behind me that I just can't open. Yeah, Vogue I comes my like good. Vogue L, all those magazines, and I just can't look at them yet. Um, I couldn't look at a Vogue knitting for at least a year. No. I just couldn't look, and it's not because I cared what was in it. I just had no interest in opening a magazine. Mm. The only magazine I've actually been able to open in the last couple of months is food magazines. I just can't look inside magazines, and I think I think it's burnout. But um, having said that, um, a magazine has. Um, or magazines in general have evolved you know Mm -hmm. like um, for instance at Vogue Knitting you know it used to be just a magazine you know like I was saying but then you know like a lot of magazines have added live events to their portfolio Um, we did a podcast at Vogue Knitting and my whole point of doing the podcast was you know what you were talking about it's like another way of presenting content but it's also about To me, um, podcasts preserve a moment in time. Mm. You know, we've got amazing influencers who've changed our knitting lives in the last 20 years. And I wanted to get those people, you know, in a situation like this where you could actually talk to them and talk about what they have done and um, what their beliefs were and where they saw the future going. And that was amazing. So, you know, I'm really impressed that you guys are doing this because, you know, you're creating an oral history.
0: It's true actually I never I never kind of really thought sat and thought mm. about that but there is something really nice about hearing someone's voice preserved mm. in time as you say sometimes on the radio or on TV where you get snippets of an old interview program mm. or you hear exactly you know, an old um BBC broadcaster from the 50s and their voices mm-hmm. sound so different it's that received pronunciation and it's, it really is, it conjures up something that words on a page can't.
1: Well, I I find that fascinating, like you say, um, oh, you're giving lots of food for thought today, Trisha, (laughs) but the, um, right, when I read uh, Elizabeth Zimmerman and her style in the books of how she speaks, I would have loved to have listened to her. Yeah. I would have loved to have had the opportunities and, um, what other influential people would you have liked? Maybe it's the past. I mean, I know you're very actively involved in new designers and other things. Would there um, echoes from the past you would have liked to have gone back? and? Uh,
2: yeah. I mean, I left bug Knitting after a certain number of podcasts and there was a long list I left of here's who to go to next, you know. But some of the people, like one person I was particularly interested in um speaking with, because I think she did an extraordinary amount of work and, um, you know, was game changer in a lot of ways, but we don't really talk about it, is someone like Margaret Stove. Oh,
1: yeah. And
2: who is an extraordinary lace knitter and designer. And, um, I mean, when Prince William was born, she actually spun the yarn and knitted the, um, the gift from New Zealand to the royal family.
0: That's yeah. Awesome. I yeah
1: and I just I yeah, have to confess. And I I do think uh and people like that especially like on the lace context too you know we were talking even yesterday about we were, we were trying to do a very potted history about um knitting um like you know the track and barter system of the Fair Isle and Faroe Islands of mm. you know of traders going through in the Faroe Island patination and you know the Gansey um girls who would come down and follow the fleets and everything has got such a story and you'd love to like you know somebody like Margaret you know would be spinning it with that in mind and across the miles it's incredible you know a a knitter with a cruel basket on her back and be knitting and their story you know yes we can reach back in time and see all these stories and we're all endlessly fascinated all these threads yeah. that come through are just wonderful, aren't they? They're just wonderful. Yeah.
2: I also think um, because we've had this, what I call a revolution in knitting, mm. um, in the last 15 to 20 years, I think it'd be amazing to write the book of the modern history of knitting.
0: Yeah. You
2: mm. know, and contrast it to what actually came before, like you're talking about, you know, these women in Shetland or. You know, at some point, someone put out these photos of old Irish women knitting. They're leaning up against fences with their, you know, sweaters and they've got their little scarves on and little mini shawls, you
1: know. (laughs) What always amazes me, which is why I craft or why I knit, is that there's a wonderful American book, and um, I should know the name, I record it so often. Um, It's called Anonymous, She Was a Woman. Um, and it's about all those bits that we pick up in um, charity shops or whatever. We don't know who made them. Those mm. men who would have worked in the fields, they've been working whatever, bringing up 10 children in very humble conditions, but would be making and sewing and repairing and doing. But they bad like what have you really done. Yes. They would go the extra mile. And I find that spirit, and I, I'm saying with women, I mean, obviously extraordinary with men too, um, from fisher folk, you know, people and mm-hmm. men. You know, but that spirit of creativity just never dies, does it? You know, you know.
2: I it, see it not just as a spirit of creativity, but um, for a lot of women, um, it was, you had to do that to, feed, to clothe your family. Totally. You know, so a lot of it was born out of necessity. you know, and then they made it beautiful. Yeah, they did go that extra mile. But they never let up because they couldn't let up because the pressure on their lives, you know, like, um, I look back to Australia and my family post war, for instance, like when my grandmother was um, a young mother, you know, there was, um, you know, an outdoor toilet and a cow that had to be milked every morning and every afternoon, and then the chickens in the yard and the vegetable garden, And that was their only way of survival and they couldn't let up. Plus they, you know, they had gazillion children
1: Um,
2: and um, there was no letting up. There was no sleep, you know, and then they had to, you know, clothe them as well. So I look at that spirit and I think that's the spirit of mothers um, in a way and women who've, for generations lived in hard conditions. I mean, in England post-war as well. I mean, it must have been totally very difficult, you yeah. know? And so that spirit to me comes through from women in that way. There's no letting up. There's always being responsible and taking it the
1: extra. Well, I, I, th- I think all these things, you've given me so so much food for thought here because obviously, you know, I think you are the one to be doing that new book of the modern context of knitting. I think it encompasses all of that pragma- pragmatism, all of that feeling, all of the couture, the 40s, um, emulating couture, the make, do and mend industry afterwards, then the birth of nylon and polyester,
2: yes. where we're
1: coming full circle, where we're looking at now, fibers that can you know, be regenerated. Of the birth of you know natural fibres of opening up of our low tech with our the high tech and the internet, but that's from what you're saying. I'm getting from you that that spirit never changes, you know, and it evolves. Um, you're the one to take it forward. Yeah, we're taught it. <laughs> that book. Need well, I would. I mean,
2: it would be an amazing um, thing to do, but it's a few years of work, you know. Oh, so whoever does it has to devote. a few years of life to it but it's someone has to invest in it someone's got to want to have that book made and actually give you enough of an advance to be able to yes
0: but i think um, now and and that's the hard part yeah (laughs) the way people are talking though especially this year and all that's happened in this global collective Crisis that we're going through, and we are seeing once again people returning to craft and talking about craft again. And maybe this is the time for it. I mean, we were talking about earlier your kind of um, trend looking and seeing what's going on. And now, obviously, in when you kind of stepping out of that magazine world where you've been editing and overviewing what's going on for the last kind of 15, 20 years. Um, what do you see as the, the future of, of knitting in this way? Do you think it will be kind of all digital in that way, or how do you, how do you see it?
2: No, I'm, um, I'm a big believer that print will continue. In the same way we're slowing down in our, um, in our knitting and slowing down in our lives and paring down, we um, are fostering a new um, appreciation of beautiful, and to me, that print product, um, you know, is is, a, is an element of beauty. And I think um, print products uh, will be elevated in time uh, to look more beautiful, to have more beautiful paper. And that's happening with indie magazines, but it's yeah. not so much happening on the main newsstand magazines. And it's a cost factor, yeah. you know, because an indie magazine might charge $15, for instance, whereas... You know, Vogue knitting's at six ninety nine or something. So, you know, you've got to um, sort of, you know, bring in the income in order to produce a better product.
0: Yeah, and so I think, it becomes this. Yeah, yeah you go. That, no, well, I was just going to say that kind of feeds into that whole craft thing with people returning to trying things out with their hands, or maybe doing it for the first time, and therein is a re- or a new or a renewed appreciation of why something has to has feel field, really yeah. beautiful like the best quality or fit for purpose and it's the same yeah in print magazines like i i and i think you know I, we were talking about it with someone the other day about even novels people assumed that you know with the advent of digital um oh, oh, the platforms or kindle, kindle those kind of yeah. things where you can just read a novel and you can store you know twenty thousand on on a, a little machine but actually book sales are still doing as well as they ever were because people like having that thing and it's that smell or it's going to a library and picking something out that someone else has already um, turned down the pages on something and I think there is a lot of that in knitting as well it's all about that tactile process it's the smell of your sheepy wool and it's like you said your you know your worn bamboo needles or whatever Mm -hmm. it is you choose to uh, knit with it's that for me I think is where craft is so important and will never disappear because it's not just function. It's I a think, need for tactile.
1: I think um, smell and touch become really important now because they're the, they're the human qualities we can talk to each other. So I think it's that tactile element as well because we're always, and but I think we is the appreciation of the patina of life. I mean, I, somebody a friend's mum had died uh, recently and we always shared knitting uh, me and her mum and I got all her patterns back some of them are familiar but it, they are glued you know taped up and there's in the margins her bits to me those things are priceless you can't so um, absolutely so I think probably collectively we're sort of saying that all of the above, aren't they? We do see the future of yeah. all of the above sort of roots to making, you know, magazine and books. Yeah. And patterns and... The digital.
2: lovely thing about what we do is it will be passed down. I mean, it's happening in your family right now, you know? Like, this is your career now, Bella. Yeah. You know? And it probably will stay that way. And you'll pass this on to if not children, then somebody else as well, you know? And I just think that's the lovely thing. It's like, in a sense, we are the caretakers of knitting right now. Yeah. You know, rather than crafters, we're the caretakers.
1: Do you know, I think that's so pertinent. I I think that's such a lovely way to round that up. You know, caretakers of knitting and, um, and being passed on. And that's, you know we are custodians now i can't thank you enough trisha uh, that's been wonderful afternoon for us um and uh yeah, so many invaluable. really, really lovely ideas yeah. and
0: thoughts that are definitely going to be yeah. whirring around
1: well we'd love to talk to you again maybe if you're kind enough to do this because i think i'd love to return to, oh, to you You've mentioned. Yeah, so, and we'll uh, get
0: going on research for our new book.
1: Yeah, let's do let's <laughs> three of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's going to be yes,
0: a exactly. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to our chat. And we hope that you'll join us again soon when we'll be returning to talk about Erica's knitting heroes, past and present, who inspire us with their passion, craft, and creativity. And a big thank you from us to Kirsty and Keir for all their practical help and support in producing this podcast. Thank you.